Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. That right there is a good intro. As it is in heaven, may it be done like that on earth. I just want to first let you know my life is not that busy. It just all kind of came together on this weekend. A friend wrote a book. He has his book launch. I'm going to that. So it just, it just happened to fall this way. But I'm so glad to be able to be here with you guys. Uh, you don't know this, but I've been trolling you on Facebook for a long time and, and just kind of watching how you guys love one another how you treat people in the community. And, and I have no doubt that God is intending to do some pretty extraordinary things through you and because of you and because of what you guys are doing. People are going to come to know Jesus. Their lives are going to be wrecked for good because of what you do. So thank you guys for letting me come and share a little bit tonight uh, with you all. This is a sermon that I prepared for our congregation, but it isn't about our congregation. It's about the body of Christ and I know that you guys have been going through a series about the purpose of the church. And, and today, uh, part of what we're looking at is the impact a surrendered life has in our service to others. But I don't want to get too far ahead. I am Aaron. I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a husband first, then a father. Um, get that a little out of order. Uh, have five children. My son Asher has actually played drums here before a couple times with you all. He's my oldest. He's in the military. And then I have a daughter, Hannah. She's in ministry in Michigan, just got married in October. I have a son named Asa. He got married the week before I went to Africa, and he's currently in the Dominican Republic. I have a son named Josiah, who's with Hannah and her husband in Michigan doing ministry. And my youngest, uh, Micah, is at home with us. And we also have four additional kids that live with us, but that's, uh, that's just the way it is. So, yeah, young adults as well. But that's a little bit about me. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and the kids are saying, you are too old. But they were just kind to you, man. So, no, they, they love you, and, and I, I know that God's going to do some great things through what you're doing here at Mosaic. And um, 10 years youth ministry, then Craig took over. Uh, he was the youth pastor there for a minute, nine years or something like that. And all that time I was doing a, a church plant. At, in our community, and we're trying to bring some of that nature and flavor to our main congregation. It's kind of like what you have going on here, we need in the larger church. This closeness and fellowship, this, this seriousness about service and, and surrender. And so just thank you. Thank you. That's a little bit of who I am, and, and I just want to get into God's Word. I want to do a quick survey to start, okay? I'm going to ask you for common gestures, okay? Not that kind, so don't be thinking about that gesture. But, but I'm going to say something, and I want you guys to demonstrate what that gesture is, okay? So if you have a question, what's the gesture we use if we've got a question? I want to see if everybody knows. You know, you raise your hand. Okay, some of you, I, now I'm going to need you to participate. Now, I know we can do this, all right? So, so we raise our hand. All right, what is the gesture we use when we want someone to stop? We put the hand up, right? Like, hey, come on now, calm it down, chill. Uh, how about if you want to go to my left? What's the gesture if you want to go to my left? 
right? You just point. I mean, why is this confusing? <laughs> my left. That's why I said my left. This is my left. You go like that, right? That's the gesture. Uh, what if you just watched an amazing performance? What's the gesture that we use? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. And we might, we might stand and celebrate. Uh, here's the last one. What is the gesture we use when the police say, freeze? Now, see, you guys got that one down. Look at it. You had some practice on that one. You guys, that's the posture of surrender. It's we throw our hands in the air and we say, I am no longer going to demand my rights. I am submitting to you, the authority. It was 2005 in the Bronx, New York, and this woman named Tracinda was on the third floor. Her building was on fire. Her son had stopped breathing because of the air and, you know, they the smoke inhalation, and she's holding her son by this window. And down at the street, there are first responders. She's stuck. What is she going to do? And, and she knows that if she stays here, it's certain death. But this is her precious child. And so with great hope, she opens the window, leans out, and tosses the baby down to the street. And thank God, Felix Vasquez was there. Felix Vasquez sees the baby fall and catches the baby, performs mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, awakening the child, and he lives. Later on, the fire, fire, firefighters actually got to Tracinda. They saved her, and they asked her, you know, what were you thinking? She said, I just asked God that he would send someone to catch my son and save him, and God did. This life requires that we take what's precious to us and we toss it away. We toss it into the hands of someone who can do more with it than we could if we kept it. This series that you guys are talking about in the, in the church and, and how do we serve those outside of the church, it's all predicated, in my opinion and estimation, on our willingness to live surrendered lives. If we don't live a surrendered life, then our service to others isn't going to be Christ-like. It's not going to be what God intends. Surrendered living is not an option. It is an effect. Those who've encountered the Holy Spirit live surrendered lives. We just pray, we were just singing that song. Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. If we mean that, we better watch out. Because the Holy Spirit will come up in here and do a little something. And so when we're saying that, we're inviting trouble in a good way, but we should be. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, we have surrendered living. The proof of the encounter with the Holy Spirit is a surrendered life. You know, you can come to church and not be changed. And we know people, maybe even ourselves, we've been coming to church for years, and we haven't changed much. But you can't encounter the Holy Spirit and stay the same. When we encounter the Spirit, everything changes. Surrendered living means all that we have and all that we do is being fully utilized as God intends. And it's not for our comfort. We don't just hold our precious. We give our precious away. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's not an option. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what stage of life, where we're at, what our income level is, 
We are all called to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. I know you know that, but sometimes we're actually not doing it. What we're gonna do today, we're gonna take a look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. We'll do a little deeper dive into everything that leads up to that. And then I'm gonna finish with some simple action steps. They're not easy, but they're simple. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'm gonna encourage you to turn to Acts 2, 42. Now I know, you know, you guys, we're in the modern era. Usually there's slides in a presentation. Uh, I had a slide presentation, but I had to modify it for this because it was for something else. So I did some modifications, but it, you guys just get to imagine that there are slides. We were going to use a previous PowerPoint and mess with you a little bit, but I'm like, eh, maybe not. But uh, just if you've got your Bibles, go on to Acts 2, 42 through 47. I want to read this, and then uh, we'll take a look at the rest of this chapter. It says in 242, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You guys are basically meeting every day. I was looking like, what you got on Sunday night at 3? You know, that's the only time that's open. But they continued to meet every day in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage comes in the context of, of the rest of Acts prior to this. And, and so I want to go back there real quick and do a little deeper dive into this and set the stage for what's coming. I want to encourage you, look, I'm, I'm about to share some things that are are difficult, um, and it might seem a little heavy, and, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not here to judge or condemn anyone, just trying to read the Bible and apply it to what we're doing. So I'm going to encourage you to put your seatbelt on, because it's about to get a little bumpy up in here, um, but, but it, it's for me too. As I was preparing this, I know the Lord is like, Aaron is you, you Aaron, but us, Aaron, all of us. In Acts 1, 1 through 3, Luke reminds the followers at that time that Jesus rose from the grave and he appeared to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I kind of chuckled at that. Jesus rose from the grave and in between his ascension into heaven, his resurrection and ascension, he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. I'm thinking, isn't the fact that he's alive proof enough? I mean, what other convincing needs to be done? I mean, he's alive. He was dead. That settles it. But that's what the scripture says, that he had many convincing proofs that he was alive. And, and I wonder, some of us in here, we've had so many convincing proofs that Jesus is alive, and yet we still don't live surrendered lives. How much proof do we need? How much more proof? In these verses, Jesus then kind of speaks about the kingdom of God being different from the worldly kingdoms. And it's interesting, almost all of Jesus' ministry, he's talking about what God's kingdom is like. 
and, and these Galileans, these, these Jewish people that were following him, they heard him talking about his kingdom all the time. And in verses 4 through 7, I'm going to come back to that, but just, just remember, they were, Jesus was talking to them about what his kingdom was like. And if we're going to serve those outside of here, we need to understand what God's kingdom is like. So in verses 4 through 7, Jesus tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised gift that the Father will give you. Now they're really confused. They're like, what is, is, is he going to give us the kingdom back? I, is he going to restore Israel to its Davidic glory? Are we now going to rule over the Romans again? Are we going to have power? He's going to give us a gift. I mean, I, I can just see him salivating and chomping at the bit like they're going to have power. And isn't that just like us? We love to be in control. We love to be the ones who are in the position of power. We love to follow our own desires and satisfy our own cravings to do all that we can to be more comfortable and to have more and better stuff. Think about this. It doesn't matter how much money someone has, but, but we, and, and this is me, I want to be more comfortable. My office chair, I want a more comfortable office chair. The air, my house is warm. I want it to be cooler in my house. I want the air conditioning to work better. I, I just paid my van off. I want a new van. I, I don't really want a new van. I mean, I'm out of the van era, but, you know, I, I want a new vehicle. I'm not, I'm not conscientiously wanting that, but, but I want new and better. I want to be in control, and that's what they wanted. Brothers and sisters, that's not surrendered living. That's self-centered living. Surrendered living means that everything that we have and all that we do is being fully utilized by God as he intends, not for our greater comfort. In verse 8, Jesus then explains to them that real power will come to them when the Holy Spirit lands on them. And then they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He explains that that's power. He told them they would testify everywhere. Then, before their sight, he ascended into heaven, and they're looking up, and an angel's like, why are you looking up there? He's gone like he said, but he's coming back. And so here Jesus makes this promise, between my resurrection and my return, I'm gonna give you power. And it's Holy Spirit power. It's not worldly it's not where you're in charge. It's where you surrender your precious to the one who is really powerful. Real power is testifying to God's goodness in every area of our lives until he returns. That's power. An unsurrendered life has no eternal power. As a result of what was shared by Luke and Jesus, verse 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And this isn't praying before their meal. This isn't praying before they go to bed. This isn't praying before they take a test. Or if the, you see the, the lights in your rearview mirror, oh Lord, let it not be for me. That's not the praying they're doing. The praying they're doing is deep intercession. 
It's for healing of the sick. It's for the casting out of demons. It's for the raising of people from the dead. That's the kind of praying that they were doing. This is praying that God would do what he does here on earth, through us, in us, and sometimes in spite of us. So, Lord, do your thing. Even though I'm angry, even though I'm being selfish, Lord, do your thing. Have your way. That's the kind of praying that they did when they were together. We need this type of prayer in our day. You have a lot of meetings coming up. I wrote them down on the back of this sheet. You have a community group, guys group on Monday, Tuesday's community group in Champlain with Anna, I think. October, do li- uh, uh, there's an October group is going to happen on Tuesdays in Dayton, Wednesdays, Brooklyn Park, Thursdays, Maple Grove, men's group. What if those groups, yes, they're fun, and you want to invite your friends, and you want them to, to have a safe place, but what if this was, maybe you got there a little early, and you just prayed that God would do something in power, that he would change people's hearts who come. What if the prayer was the, was the impetus, was the fuel of what you're doing? I think that's what God is asking us in a surrendered life to do. That's how we serve others. It starts with prayer. Commit to this type of praying. Yes, pray before you sleep. Yes, pray before you eat. Yes, pray when you're taking a test. And when there's a police car behind you, pray. But that shouldn't be the sum of our prayer. Surrendered living prays as though everything depends upon God. Because it does. Now we jump to the chapter of our passage today. And we see that they were all together again. Surrendered living includes being together. When they were together, all heaven broke loose. Imagine this, a group not much bigger than we are right now, sitting in a room, and we're praying, and we're, we're interceding, and we're asking God to show up. We're waiting. Jesus told us to go wait, so we're just kind of waiting. Okay, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the doors of the building blow open, and the sound of a violent rushing wind comes in. <sighs> building is shaking. We're in here like... It wasn't even windy. What's happening? And all of a sudden, what appears like tongues of fire show up on top of everyone's head. What? I don't know about you, but I'm, I am really concerned at this point if I'm there. I have no idea what's This has never happened. I might be in panic mode. I might be, God, guys, we need to run out of here. We need to go. But they sat there. And something powerful happened. Then they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in different tongues. Just as Jesus promised, the gift arrived. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised gift. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They're in a room waiting. The Holy Spirit comes and there's power. Now, all the people around, these are Galileans, they speak that language All these other people in the area, the Medes, the Parthenians, the the Syrophoenicians, whatever their names are, you know, there are Romans, there's Arabs, there are people from all over. They are hearing about God's wonder in their own language from people who only speak whatever the Galilean language is. But they're hearing God's wonders. That's power. When the Holy Spirit shows up, there is power. Peter explained what happened very well, but to summarize it, he said this, God promised to show up in power, and he did. 
And he did. If you turn to 238, I want to jump way over there. And this is where it's going to get a little bumpy. Um, but, but please bear with me. And I hope you're, 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 you're tracking here that there was this expectation of power. Our self wants to be in control. And God is telling us we need to, we need to throw that precious self out of the window. Surrender it to Felix, to God. This is what he says. So the people asked Peter, what shall we do in light of all that they just experienced? And Peter said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He tells them, repent and be baptized. Listen, I don't know where any of you are in here spiritually today. But I do know this, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, today is your day. Repent and be baptized. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. God's desire is to be with us. That's his desire from the beginning, but he can't because we're separated from him because of sin. Any thought, attitude, action that displeases God is not perfect. And there's nothing we can do to remove sin. We can't come to church. We can't go to every one of those Bible studies or, or community groups that occurs throughout the week. That's not going to remove sin. Helping little old ladies across the street, that ain't going to do nothing. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who placed their trust in Jesus has eternal life, and that life can begin today. That's the plan of salvation. Peter is saying, and I'm saying today, if you have not asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and lead your life, today is the day. Perhaps after the service, you grab someone that you, you know from the worship team or one of the leaders, and you say, today's the day I want to follow Jesus. This morning, or at the, uh, we have a 1045 service, I had a, an eight-year-old boy come up afterwards, and I want to do this. It doesn't matter the age. We just need to humble ourselves. And I love this. It says, the promise is for you, those that were there at that time, and for, uh, for your children, so those that were there, their children, and for all who are far off, guess who we are? That's us. This passage is literally taking place right now because the promise is for us. We're the far off ones. What God has declared is trustworthy. This is his word. It is his promise and he offers it to every one of us. When we repent and are baptized, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have access to power that's supernatural. Then here's where the bumpy part comes in. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. At 7 a.m. when the alarm went off, there was 120 of them. When they went to bed that night, there was 3,120. That's the power of the Spirit. And that power is available to us today. But friends... I have to warn you and plead with you. We've created a God that we're comfortable with. We've created a God in our own image that we can manage. 
We've created a God that's okay with the sin in our life and has helped us overcome the sin we've already overcome. That's not God. That's not God. We have to stop living these self-centered lives. They lead to death. There's no other way to put it. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ died to save us from the effects of sin. We have a choice, and we have chosen to cherish sin in our heart. It might be the way we treat our neighbor. It might be the way we look at someone who looks differently from us. It might be pride. I don't know what it is for you. Some of us think that going to church is good enough. The reality is some of us are super greedy and we need to stop being greedy. We hoard stuff up. We've got savings accounts that are amassing wealth. We have, we're trying to get bigger and more houses, more cars, more technology, better clothes. We, we are amassing things. And maybe you're not. But, but, but you know what you're doing. And God does. We have to stop with that. We have to stop being prideful. Stop being passive in our faith. When we get to the end of our lives, we're not going to get rewarded for how much stuff we have. There is no button that's going to be given or a crown that's going to be placed. Like, you acquired the most stuff. Yay! Come on in! That's not going to be what happens. And the reality is, 100 years from now, no one's even going to know who you are. Why are we wasting so much time on frivolous temporal things? that are going to waste away. Only what we do for Christ is going to remain. Only. We need to place every area of our life under the loving eye of Jesus Christ. We need to take our precious and toss it into God's hands. Our lives we hold so precious, but we've not surrendered them. Check your motives. Check your thinking. What are you reading? What are you watching in movies or on TV? What are you listening to? Examine how you utilize the wealth that the Lord has given you, whether you're making $500,000 a year or $10,000 a year. It doesn't matter. How are you spending it? What are you doing with it? If Jesus were to have complete access to every area of our lives, would he say, yes, my child, you're living a surrendered life? Or would he say, no, away from me, I don't know you? You're living self-centered. I have to say, I know that in some areas, it would be the former. And he would say, you're living surrendered there. But in many areas, he'd say, you're still very selfish. I encourage you to examine yourself. Check yourself. If we're being honest, we would be able to identify these areas that we have not yet surrendered. We need to evaluate how we're surrendering our time, how we're surrendering our finances, our giftedness. We spend so much time doing things that just aren't going to last. And and then we're like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Yeah, we're busy doing the wrong things. It's me too. Brothers and sisters, we gotta evaluate this. Time is short. God has amazing things in store for each one of us. He wants to pour out blessing in us and pour out blessing through us. But it's going to be predicated upon you and I surrendering our lives. There are people who are hanging on the precipice 
of an eternity apart from God in hell. And we are sitting gleefully enjoying the fruit of our labor. We're unwilling to, do, to have the hard conversations, to, to do the generous thing. We've just gotten too comfortable. The question is, are all the areas of your life being fully utilized as God intends, or are they just a means to your greater comfort? And I gotta challenge you, don't rationalize here. Don't explain it away, just be honest. The talking has to stop and the action has to begin. You have neighbors, people in your home, people at work, people that are at the grocery store down the street who need you to live a surrendered life so that you can forget about yourself, focus on him, and share God's love with them. The effect of an encounter with the Holy Spirit on those first believers was three things. And I want to share, these are the action steps. The first one was devotion. The second thing is awe. And the third thing is an uncommon generosity. In Acts 2.42, it says that the disciples were together and they devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the word for devotion there is proskartario, and it means steadfast and single-minded faithfulness and a focus to the mission. And, and what is the mission? The mission is to serve others, to love God, and it's to make disciples. That's the mission. And what were they devoted to? They were devoted first to the apostles' teaching. That's God's word. That's the Bible. Knowing and doing what God's word says. We are people of the book. You know, I love it. People will often say, man, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm like, really? It's like right there. Well, no, I mean, like, I'm not sure. Why don't you start here? There's probably enough material to get you going. And, and, and once you get this done, then you can ask the next question. There's enough material in here. Brothers and sisters, a surrendered life knows and is devote, or knows and does the Bible. They're devoted to knowing Scripture and doing what it says. The second thing is fellowship. That's the Greek word. Everyone, koinonia, it's, it's been popular. It was in the 90s, koinonia groups and, and all this kind of stuff. But, but ultimately, it's just sharing life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the messy. That's what fellowship is. Yes, it's having, you know, it's bowling or whatever it might be. But there is a level of sharing where it focuses on the reality that Jesus wants to redeem that which is broken. Uh, one of the services that we had, I, I talked about a young woman who, whose husband just died six months ago. She has four kids. She's 33, and he was 41. And she's never worked. She's been a stay-at-home mom. She needs help. She needs someone to help her figure out her finances, help her to figure out a meal plan, vehicles, insurance, everything. And this lady came up to me afterwards like, how come we don't know that? I'm like, because you're not in fellowship. That's why we don't know what the needs are. When we're truly in fellowship, we share with one another. Hey, this is what's going on. My wife and I are struggling. Well, we're going to pray for you. We're going we're gonna to do what we can to help you through this struggle. Or you know what? My car, I got a flat tire. I don't have a spare. I, right now I'm low. You know what? Here's... 200 bucks, get a new tire. 
whatever it might be. Fellowship is the place where these needs are found out. It's more than just hanging out. They were also devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, that's not just an ordinary meal, although that's included. So eat your burger, have a good time, you know, bowl and and eat the burger. But ultimately, all of these things, there's a devotion level that says, no, when we're breaking bread, it's about the joy of the Lord. We're going to share what God's doing. We're going to offer prayer requests. You know, we, my wife, we have people at the house, obviously, all the time, but we, we have people over for meals. And, and we can't be at the table. My, my family, we're, we're all jokesters, my boys especially. And, and so we're always just yapping at the table. And Tiffany's like, can we be serious for a minute? And I'm like, well, you got 57 seconds now. You know, and so it's like she'll want to share something. You know, what was the highlight from the day? What, where did you see God at work? That's what meals should include. And they were devoted to that. It wasn't just eating. It was eating, but it was more than that. And finally, they were devoted to prayer. This is like formal and spontaneous. This is the Lord's Prayer. It's other prayers in Scripture. But it's also spontaneous where something pops up. You know what? Hey, let's pray about that. Or, you know, I heard, I heard this is going on. Man, you see what's happened in the news? We need to pray about that. There's spontaneity to it. It's intercession. It's petition. But they were devoted to it. If your groups, your community groups, don't have these four elements, a devotion to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, I urge you, I'm not your pastor, but I'm a brother in Christ. I urge you to do what the Bible says. This is Acts 2, 42 through 47. You can quote that to whoever the leader is. Hey, how can we incorporate this? Because this is what the Bible says. We have groups, and I don't want to besmirch my church. I love the church. I've been there 20 years. But, you know, we have groups that have been meeting for 20 years. They ain't doing nothing. They're not. They've never once had a new person. They've never invited someone, never shared the gospel. They just hang out. I'm like, don't call that a fellowship then. Call that a club. Or, or just say it's your hangout group. There's nothing wrong with that. Hang out. But don't call that fellowship. That's not what is going on there. So I encourage you in your community groups, in your, in your Bible studies, to, to look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, and say, hey, is this what we should be doing, Pastor? Let's, let's incorporate this. And again, for me, this is where the service to the non-believer is profound. They're going to see your community group and say, that's different. That, that people right there, they love each other. And I want to be a part of that. That's where we actually, it's an act of service to the disconnected or unconnected. So that was the first thing, they were devoted. The second thing is awe. Both non-believers and believers alike were in awe of what happened at Pentecost, the tongues event. They were in awe of the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Now the grammar there is more accurately translated as were done. So it's like they were all in awe of the many signs and wonders that were done by the apostles, which is a continuation. It wasn't something that happened, but there were signs and wonders that were performed by them. A surrendered life is one where God utilizes all that we have and all that we do to point people to himself. And this is usually awesome. Awesome. And I think if we were to be honest, every Sunday when we come in here, we could give testimony to something awesome we saw God do. We should be in awe of God. We're singing, what a powerful name it is. What an awesome, what a wonderful name it is. It's an awesome name. 
And we should see that in our lives. We should see that around us. Do you know someone who's sick? Pray for them. Do you know someone whose relationship is, is broken? Pray with them. And then watch and see what God does. Are you in awe of God? About two months ago, I went to, get to my barber to get my hair cut. Uh, my barber's name is Corey. So if you're watching Corey online, hook a brother up with that, you know, all pro sports, you know, at Ridgedale Mall. Uh, no, he's, he's a great barber, great guy. He didn't do this, so I'm not going to blame him for what I got currently because uh, I did this, but he does a good job. But I went in there, and um, he's like, oh, man, he's late. He's always late, you know, but I bring a camp chair, so he opens at 11. I get there at 10, 15, because if you're second, you, I mean, forget it. So I'm going to be first. I go at 10, 15, put my camp chair out the sto- outside of the door, and I just wait. And um, he, he rolls in at 11, 20 or something like that. And he's like, oh, my stomach, I just went to the doctor. Something's not right. I think I'm going to have to get surgery. And I said, you know what? Let's just pray. Let's just pray. So, you know, the barbershop, we talk about it. We talk about UFOs. We talk about Bigfoot. I mean, we talk about everything in the barbershop. And um, so praying is not a big deal. And I just said, Lord, would you heal Corey? Help him to feel better. That was it. In Jesus' name, amen. And I didn't think anything of it. Fast forward, I went back a, a few weeks later to get my hair cut again. And, and he's like, what's up, holy healer? And, and I'm like, what? He calls me Aaron. You know, he, I'm like, you usually call me Aaron. Like, weird. You call me holy healer. What are you talking about? I'd totally forgotten that we prayed about his stomach. And he's like, yeah, I, uh, man, my stomach, after you prayed, my stomach was, is just way better. It's like, I'm not even feeling, I'm not going back to the doctor. And I'm like, well, first of all, I am not a healer. You know, don't, I don't want the earth to open up and swallow me for taking credit for something God does. But, but no, God does the healing. But the point is that if God is in us, in power, he, when we pray for the sick, we should expect that the sick get healed. I'm not saying it's always going to happen because it doesn't always happen. But boy, our God is awesome and he can do it. Finally, surrendered living, when we encounter the Holy Spirit, the effect of that is an uncommon generosity. Now, 10 days ago, I was on the African savanna in Kenya on safari. And our driver, his name was James, had taken us out to this place in the savanna. There's a river with hippos and stuff down there. And, and we're having breakfast, like, out on the savanna, like, weird. You know, I'm this boy from Chicago, and no, I don't see animals like this. And a baboon goes running by. I'm like, wow, this is just weird. Oh, wait, I have five kids. It's not that weird. But, you know, the, the baboons and, and the hippos, and, and it's just this weird environment. I'm just talking to James, I'm like, James, you know, what do you do for food? You live out in the village four hours from anything. And he's like, yeah, we have to walk six kilometers to get our food from a market. And basically, it's like rice and beans. And I'm like, well, what do you do for water? He's like, oh, that's another thing. We don't have water. We don't have access to clean water here, even at that six kilometers. So they actually have a huge tank. He, he said, I had to buy a huge tank, and we have this tanker truck that comes out and fills it, you know, every six months or something like that. Not in his case, I found out later. He said, but, but for me, I'm the only one in the village that has a tank. So when they come to fill up that tank, everyone in the village comes to get their water. And when they leave, my tank is half empty. But that's my job. I get to do that. God has blessed me, and I'm going to bless others. That's uncommon generosity. 
If you turn to Acts 5, 4, 32, we're, we're wrapping up right now. It says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. We don't do that. We do the opposite. This is my stuff, bro. You better back on up. That's mine. Ah, no. If you would work harder, maybe you could have some of this. We do the opposite. But this isn't a, a prescription. God's not telling us to do this. He's telling us this is what they did. They had everything in common. And they shared everything they had. And it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully upon them and at work in them all that there were no needy persons amongst them. Could you imagine that? In Plymouth, there are 3,000 people that live below the poverty line. At our church, I believe very easily if we would be a little generous, not even uncommonly generous, but a little more generous, we could eradicate poverty in Plymouth. I don't know what it is in this area, but I know you could make a dent in that. I know you could make a dent if we had an uncommon generosity. If we said, in our fellowship, there will be no needy. I'm not saying that there will be different economic levels, but needs. Maybe you have a loved one who's got dementia and they need someone to sit with. They need someone to sit with them for two hours. You guys say, we're meeting that need. I'm going to go sit with them. Or someone's computer breaks down. Oh, I know someone that can fix computers. That need is taken care of. What if we took our community approach, our community life that way and said, here, there's going to be no needy. That's what they did. And it says that from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and then distributed to anyone who had need. Man, what if we lived like that? What if we did this? That's surrendered living. It's a life devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. It's, it's a life filled with awe of what God's doing. It's a life that it has an uncommon generosity. Surrendered living takes all that we have and all that we do, and it's utilized as God intends not to be spent upon ourselves. So I want to encourage you. Evaluate how you're spending your time, your talent, and your treasure. Surrender it to the Lord. Surrender it to him. God can do more with your stuff anyway than you can. I want to encourage you to commit to live a surrendered life so that your neighbors, your extended family members, your co-workers, people that you bump into in the community can see the power of God displayed firsthand through you and watch God add daily to those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. It is a day that we can rejoice and be glad in. I thank you for this fellowship, Lord, this this mosaic of beauty, this different sizes, shapes, colors, abilities. But you brought this body together for a good purpose. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that they would live such surrendered lives that everyone they come in contact with are blessed because of them, like Joseph. May this be an uncommon place where the needs are met, 
and that those who aren't here want to be here because they have heard what happens here. Bless them to be a blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.